Metricast. What would you say to Harrison at the bus stop? Well, the first thing I would do is give him a big and heartfelt cuddle, heart to heart. And I would remind him that this current story of loneliness, this current story of separation, I'd first let him know that it's okay to feel it. Mm -hmm. That whatever story he was currently playing, you're allowed to feel the thing. Mm -hmm. And how you feel the thing, it doesn't need to look a certain way. I'd let him know that whether it be through tears, whether it be through some kind of movement, whether it be anger, frustration, yelling, screaming, that however the channel of the emotion that needs to move through him, it's okay. Welcome, beautiful beings, to season two of the Cosmic Love Antenna podcast with your host, Harrison Ma. This podcast sets the loving intention of creating the mystical space needed to pull back the layers restricting health, alignment, and love. Now let's walk you home to your cosmic spiritual heart space. Good morning, evening, afternoon, magical spiritual beings. Welcome back to the show and another special rebroadcast episode here with your host Harrison and this time on another fabulous platform where I had the opportunity to be interviewed once again by a close friend, Claudia Delano on her show on the topic of healing psychological wounds of rejection and abandonment in this deep, loving, emotional chat today, I went into some examples in my life in which I not just moved through and experienced wounds of abandonment and rejection, but used a lot of emotional and spiritual tools to heal, to integrate, and to transform from these pain. I also had a lot of tips and expressions shared around the inner child. So I hope this deep dive today brings some soothing solace to your heart, and I hope you get so much value out of it. Enjoy. Today, I have the pleasure once more of speaking with spiritual love coach and author of your Cosmic Love Antenna, Harrison Marr. Harrison also hosts the Cosmic Love Antenna podcast, which boasts a loyal following on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Always excited to have you back on the show. Today, we discuss our partnership, Psychological Wounds. Thank you for being here today. Welcome. So eager to speak with you. And let's talk relationships and the psychological wound. I'm excited to be here, Claudia. It's I um, have had a few different podcasts this week where I've been the guest, but this particular podcast always makes me very emotionally nervous because I know parts of me are going to come up that need to be seen and need to be shared. So I'm excited to be in your loving energy. Oh, thank you. Look, I know when we talk about relationships, it always really can, I don't know, furl our feathers in a way, because even as I'm asking you the questions, one of the things that um, I comes up for me is to be really sensitive and thoughtful in the way that I'm asking. So reminder, don't answer anything you don't want to answer. 
<laughs> I mean, I so I I appreciate that, Claudia, and I know that comes from love, but at the same time, uh, you know, and this is just for everyone's sake. I think a lot of people here can relate to this. I am I'm at a, I'm at a point in my journey where I'm ready to share it all, right? And it's not from a space of ego. It's not from a space of hey, look at me. It's from a space of hey, you're not alone. Yeah. Right? Because I know when I was growing up. If I had, you know, let's just take it out of the masculine. If I just had anybody in my world that did what I will do today in my world, it would have taught me a lot. So, you know, I, I appreciate the disclaimer, but I'm ready to bear it all. Let's let's dive in then. Thank you for saying that. Um, and I think we'll come back around to that, this idea of, disclosure and talking throughout our lives about these things, um, perhaps with our children and our friends and loved ones, so that uh, this topic isn't so taboo. It isn't so something that you only tell your dearest, closest friend, because our psychological wounds are often part of our grieving process. And as you well know, they are part of our breakthrough process as well. So let's first talk a little bit about what the psychological wound is. Can we define that uh, in terms of relationships for our viewers and listeners? Well, there are many that I think people can automatically go to, but I think the ones that we're going to hit on here today in, in my experience would probably be the wounds of abandonment and rejection that mm. have childhood roots that often come up in adult relationship dynamics. Fantastic. And if I could add to that, because I'll be asking a little bit about it, some of the, the wounds that we talk about sometimes are just residuals, just scars, just leftovers that come through that abandonment and that rejection, um, not only from another person, but sometimes uh, from ourselves. So on that note, uh, let's let's go with how do our wounds happen, and later on, how do they surface? Mm. So, I think the first place I want to begin. So, I, I I have an intention that I'm going to set right now. I didn't have this intention coming in, but I'm going to set it right now. I think what I would like to dance between here today is the emotional and spiritual side of this, because these two parts of our being, they're not isolated, they connect together. So what I mean by that is when you ask me that question, where do these wounds come from? In many cases, I've come to the awareness that my rejection, my abandonment wounds, while I could pinpoint childhood incidents, childhood experiences, the deeper I've gone into meditation and reflection around them, I've come to an understanding that there is a deeper spiritual lens to that. And, you know, without going too deep already, I'll just say that I've come to a knowing that my soul prepped me with these wounds, came in with these, I would refer to them as soul wounds. And gave me the opportunity, whether it was with my parents and then again in, in adulthood with different relationships to 
get to experience them to pull out the lessons that needed to be seen. Mm. All right. Well, I like where this is going. So we're going to talk about that, that predestined uh, inheritance of uh, trauma as a part of, of talking about the psychological wound. And I think that's really relevant today because the language has shifted so much. And um, there are many of us who believe that we come in with agreements about the lessons that we're here to learn in order to elevate. And yeah. uh, in our case, your case, in my case, I know that that those lessons are here meant to not only help us evolve, but to really help our hearts expand as a part yeah. of that solution. Yeah. Thank and, you. And I'll just add to that, Claudia, quickly. It, it, not just our hearts to expand in evolution, but as you would beautifully say, and I would beautifully, you know, express and quote you. So that heart can experience love more fully, right? Not just expand the heart because we can do that. We can expand the heart in many ways. We can expand the heart in, you know, in anger, in, in, in shame, in guilt, and in, in, in many kinds of emotions. But, you know, these wounds really help us go deeper into the consciousness of love that the heart emits. Beautiful, beautiful. So let's go to a second, uh, for a second to the heart's pain. And um, if you wouldn't mind, share with us, just in your experience, I'm before I even touch into your personal experience, I really want to go into how you experience other people in, through your coaching and your work, describe that heart pain, that psychological wound. Well, I mean, they describe it through their emotions. They describe it through. So in the work that I do, there's a lot of talk therapy, right? And there's a lot of uh, the people that come to see me, they speak about it and they express and they, they give me moment by moment experiences and the stories that they've lived. And I get a lot of information around that. But for me, as the healer that I am now, I pick up much more than the words and the stories that are expressed through those words. When someone is ex expressing a childhood event that may hold one of these wounds or a adult event that may hold one of these wounds, I've come to realize that the words are less important in contrast to what is expressed behind them or what is felt behind them. So to say this more simply, when people come to see me and they share their experiences, I'm able to pick up on their energetic need in their expression of the wound. Does that make sense? That makes absolute sense. I mean, that's really the art of talk therapy. It's that we start with a mental dialogue, but what we're really doing is we're connecting with heart resonance. And, and when that happens, we're really tapping into uh, those emotions. And a lot of what's, what's happening in the healing is actually has nothing to do with the words that are being exchanged. Oh. It's yeah. all my subconscious is speaking to yours and yeah. yours 
speaking to mine. And we really have no idea what that sounds like in words. Well, I'd take it further. You said subconscious. And I think that's where a lot of these wounds reside, right? But I, I would take it even further. I think it's the spirit also speaking to the spirit, right? It's I often just, I, in my book, I talk about how, you know, emotions are are important to connect to and feel and release. But what I think is probably more important is to understand where are those emotions coming from? What is the, the channel of those emotions? What is the origin of those emotions? And in many cases, it's the spirit itself. So, you know, when people are speaking their, their emotional story, mm-hmm. what is the most valuable thing one can do, both as the speaker and the receiver, is aim or set the intention to connect to the to the spirit that is expressing those emotions. Wow. Okay. I think that that's pretty, yeah. That's pretty yeah. that's pretty deep. It's pretty good. So take us, take us there for a moment. Describe for us a, a time in your life where that occurred. Where I was experiencing one of those wounds or where I was holding space and speaking to the spirit of someone expressing wounds. Well, let's start, let's start with the personal piece and then okay. move yeah. that. Okay. So I'll share a story that I talked about in my book. And I put the disclaimer because I know my beautiful father listens to these episodes and this and this and this um, story is has him involved. And you know, I love you very much, Dad. And there is no judgment or or resentment or any kind of, you know, negativity towards this experience. I've very much alchemized this experience and taken responsibility of it, but it did involve my beautiful father, uh, leaving me alone at a, uh, at a bus station when I was a child at school waiting to be picked up and hours and hours and hours passed. And, uh, my dad did come. And in that experience as a little boy, I remember feeling a lot of these emotions and sensations. And at the time, I didn't have vocabulary. I didn't have a framework. I didn't, I had suppressed much of my sensitive emotional being. So what was coming through was confusing. Mm. And in that confusion, if that wasn't enough, I was creating stories, right? Stories of abandonment, stories of rejection. And in many cases, I would assert it's not the emotional experience that's the problem. If I had been in that experience and just allowed myself and understood what was going on and felt the feelings, it would have moved through me. But because I created the story out of fear, the story trapped me in that stasis that mm. emotional stasis. Mm. So that story sometimes creates um, false beliefs, right? These sort of negative yeah. uh, narratives about what we were feeling and they convert our feelings into an even deeper experience than the one that we're often, uh, that's often really in touch with what's happening. And, and where where do those feelings get trapped? I mean, the simple answer is the body, right? They get trapped 
in this beautiful human 3D form, right? Yeah. This, I would call, communication vehicle of the spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I'm, you know, for, for those of you listening, I'm leading Harrison there because I know him well enough and his material well enough that I know exactly where where you're, what how, what you're able to speak to about this that I think is so incredibly powerful for uh, our audience. And, and that's exactly right. It gets trapped in this communication vehicle. And you talk a lot about how that manifests in the body. And I'm wondering if you can take us a little further into how that manifested in your own body. Mm. So I might actually connect it to another story that I experienced that I also talked about in my book and trigger warning for people tuning in. I'm just, if anyone's experienced any kind of abuse, I'll just put this little disclaimer. I, in my, so fast forward to that first story was uh, 12, 11. And now this story was 15, 16 years of age. That experience of not being able to understand my emotions and sensitivities was a recurring theme. Mm. And it continued into my adolescence. And I actually was sexually abused as a as a teenage boy. Mm. And the reason I bring this story up is because when you ask the question of how did those limiting beliefs and suppressed emotions show in the body? is that they created a being, a body that was not, how should I say, confident, strong, and powerful in its form. Okay. Right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll land it. I'll leave it there. Claudia, I'll pass it back to you and I'll let you direct it. But I'll just, you know, it's, there's a reason that when humans are abused in any way, one of the indicators that that abuse, and I want to be careful with my words, this abuse can be attracted is because the abuser sees physically something that can be taken advantage of. First of all, I want to commend you just for so courageously uh, opening up more and more so transparently um, and especially with me about your story for others. Um, everybody who gets to listen to this knows that we're being gifted in this moment. Anytime that someone like you so courageously tells us, here's the whole process, how it breaks down, what it looks like, we're actually informing awareness and we are deconstructing stigma in such a way that actually is so deeply about removing these things from our lives in ways that do expand our state of love. So I want to take you and rewind a little bit. Let's go back to the, the bus stop. What are some of the negative beliefs that were formed that day? Or maybe for days after or years after? Mm -hmm. Well, the one that comes through in this moment is loneliness, right? Mm. Being alone, right? Mm. The illusion of being isolated, the illusion of 
being disconnected from someone that you love, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I'll just fast forward. Obviously, you know, I was picked up and my dad made a beautiful mistake. He was just doing, living his own life and doing his own thing. But that, that feeling of loneliness, that feeling of isolation, that feeling of being abandoned, you know, it continued and not through conscious awareness, mm-hmm. but it was pushed down, right? Because again, the little boy that I was had no understanding of this emotionality. So that loneliness expanded out into wanting to fill a hole with other people. And maybe we can talk about that later, but as a little boy, then becoming a teenager that expanded into seeking, seeking others to fill that loneliness hole. So as that loneliness fills, take us into that kid mind. I always think of, of the movie, um, mm. a Christmas story, it's an old, old movie, but you know, <laughs> the little boy has all of these fantasies in his head and we actually get to see them. And I feel like today when we eat for eons, when we read books or we see movies and we hear about the kids fantasy story, it's always like some kind of fantastic, fabulous, you know, fun adventure. And what's being forgotten is that the lens of a child is really not only interpreting great adventurous fun, it's also interpreting every single bit of of stimulus that's coming through and trying to piece it together. So I am going to be asking you a little bit about um, the repairs and what you would say to him. But first, can you tell us about just being that child and what the experience of having those those thoughts of loneliness um, sounds like for people listening? I think I was a young teenager. I might've been probably around the same age. I remember reading a children's book around depression and anxiety. Mm. And I would never have classified myself as someone that had diagnosed depression or any kind of deep anxiety, but I had moments of that kind of darkness in my, again, early childhood, late, early teens, late, late childhood, early teens. And in that childhood story, the image was of this black dog that would follow around that little boy and sometimes jump on his back and feel and always be attached, Mm. not on all days Mm. and not in all moments of awareness, but that heaviness, almost like a backpack was there and for me in a lot of instances that was how it felt and again there was no repeating of the story because I think it was so pushed down but it was more because I've always been a feeling being there was this deep heaviness of a feeling body that again came up in a lot of suppression in my later years. You carried it. And 
just to make sure, um, I, I want to check in here, you know, if your dad's listening, if other people are listening, so that we, we're really, we're really conscious that, um, you know, this isn't a, a blame and shame, you know, kind of story. It's really talking about how as kids, these, these things formulate in our experience and how we can improve so much our relationship communication at any age and yeah. any stage um, just by being open and honest and transparent about what we experienced. Well, and so it's, it's education. And, you know, I'll just speak personally from me. All of those moments that I now, that I have reflected on and I am reflecting on now in this moment, some in the, for the first time, they're, they're a gift. Right? They're a gift that the vessel of my father gave to me. Right. I, all those experiences, I have currently or will in the future alchemize into loving truth. That will at least be for me, if at best be for others to hear, such as on this episode. So I share that because it's easy to, I think, accept these moments once we've healed and moved through them. What I think is the further step to take is to be grateful for them because I, they didn't happen for just a random reason. They happened in the exact way that they needed to happen. And the sooner that I accept that, the sooner I can actually start to pull the treasure out of the shadow that's waiting to be seen. Beautiful. Beautiful. And thank you. And, and I definitely want to talk about how that, how we can begin to take ownership um, of ourselves uh, when we really integrate a lot of those wounds. But before we go there, let's, let's, I and mean, we could be here all day, but let's recycle uh, a little bit. I, I want to check in that the bus stop incident that creates now these stories, yeah. abandonment, uh, loneliness, is this the only time up until then, or are there other little incidents that might have triggered that story into what it was? And maybe they're not incidents. They could be feelings, thoughts. Yeah. Well, I guess the place I go is, and I speak about this a lot on, on my show, the place I go is the environment that I was growing up in, right? Not just let's take a pause on the familiar environment because in many ways it was beautiful, but I'm talking about the culture that I grew up in and the, the media that I was exposed to and the education system that I grew up in. That terrain created a little boy that whenever he was having magical experiences was automatically shut down. Mm. And the reason I share this in relation to these wounds of abandonment, rejection, loneliness is, I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, but when I've been in a wound for a particular amount of time, often magic invites itself in right? Either in the form of a person or maybe a, a teaching or a book or a something that you just happenly stumble across. But because this little boy that I was grew up in a 
world that not only pushed away magic, but highlighted its very false, unrealistic nature. Whenever that magic wanted to come in, I saw it as evil. I saw it as bad. I saw it as, you know, the devil. Mm. So that in many ways was was around me, it was almost like this ethereal shadow that stopped a lot of the light from coming in. Well, what you're describing is a larger rejection. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that, that it's important that we went back a little bit so that people understand that trauma doesn't always happen in isolation. There are sometimes a series of micro traumas that we're just unaware of that sort of add up or sum up to the whole definition that then triggers in our minds and plays out, which then also plays out um, physically for us. So it's all intertwined. Um, thank you. Thank you for, for saying that. Let's take it a little bit forward now. So there is this general sense you described of as a child when the magic comes up, experiencing this rejection. And I want to say this developmentally uh, as children, belonging is such an important part of who we are. Uh, we are not meant to, as children, be in isolation. We're really meant to connect because our brains are just barking and taking in every bit of information. As a result, we are constructing an identity of who we are. So these stories begin to developmentally shape for a child and unconscious uh, definition of who am I? Mm. And we don't have the discussions with our children. Well, I do. <laughs> I think I had one just a couple of days ago, <laughs> you know, where I, I literally will ask my daughter, um, so so who are you? And 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 we play around with the I am, mm. but, but that's a whole nother thing. Um, yeah. that story for you, who did it begin to develop? Because I've heard words like there were sensitivities, there was a sense of loneliness. Yeah. There was a backpack that I carried. Yeah. And let me highlight for our listeners, the black dog. Yeah. Such an incredibly beautiful metaphor because so far we've called it all these things without having to call it depression. And I yeah. want you to know that depression is a generalized term, but it's so much more real when we use terms that we relate to. And we name it ourselves because that's where we begin to take power over it. Yeah. And I think just a side piece to that, I think the, and I, I feel really comfortable speaking to you about this. I think all of these psychoanalytical terms and descriptors and labels, while they may serve a purpose to a certain degree, the deeper I've gone just in my journey when you start to bring in the spiritual ethereal world, you come to the conclusion, at least I did, that they're just another box. 
that mm. if you stay in for too long, right, and I'm very much not overlooking the very real care and support that people deserve to have, what I am inviting in is the healing potential that resides outside of those boxes. And I know for me, right, hitting on this question here of who I am and who I was and who I was becoming, mm. it began with me really starting to question those boxes, really starting to question those labels, really starting to question these masks and personas that up until that point, right, so fast forwarding to early teenage years and then early 20s, I felt that other people were placing on me. And initially, that's may of how it had begun. Someone had said something, I took it on. But at the end of the day, and this is where a lot of my relinquishing and healing came in, I took the power back and realized that I was making an unconscious choice to stay in those wounds in a state of victimship, if you want to call them that. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, because that's a big transition to go from the actual wound, because we don't want to dismiss um the wound itself, because you talk about how this led to, and, you know, again, completely up to you, this um, uh, abuse of, uh, as a minor. And I don't know how much of that you want to share here yeah. today, but I think it's important that we address it as a part of uh, the conversation that this, yeah, tell us, tell us a little bit about how that played in for you. Yeah. The abuse, yeah. So the abuse happened just to make sure people sticking up with the time frame. So uh, the loneliness, the isolation, rejection, abandonment, wound, uh, uh, late, late childhood, early teens, 11, 12, and then the sexual abuse, 16, 17 years of age. And it, it happened as all of these kinds of wounds happened seemingly out of nowhere as I was a adolescent that was at a party drinking doing all the things in many ways at that point in time looking to fill that loneliness hole that isolation hole the you know a few others there and it happened in the form of a a larger man taking advantage of me and in the moment at the time I I did what I had done in the first instance in the at the bus stop. Mm. I had I pushed, I ignored, I suppressed. Mm. I even created the story that it was nothing. Mm -hmm. It was something small. It was minor. It wasn't I and I compared my trauma story to other people's trauma stories. And in that act, overlooked its impact on me. Yeah. So that then perpetuated into my early twenties, and you know other events that occurred. But that was the incident and the series of choices I ended up making. And as I as I hear that, I begin to question so deeply what I could ask that young Harrison 
uh, about who he thought he was, because you're saying, once again, I took loneliness and I took rejection and I pushed them down. And I was trying, because this is such a beautiful thing for people to understand that what you were saying is I was trying to fill that. And I was doing what teenagers developmentally in our Western culture do. We go to parties and we drink and we try to socialize and, and that's just, and listen to music and all of those things. These are part of the ways in which we come together to find our identity, our who, our who am I? And this incident happens and you push it down. And looking back on him, who were you then? Well, was two. what was that? And where was the black dog? So both the boy at the bus stop and the young man at the party, how I would describe the soul and the being in both those instances was a soul looking for love, was a powerful being that was looking to experience love in new ways. And I think where a lot of the challenge arised for me was feeling like I needed to add more to that sentence. Was feeling like, yes, but, yes, and I need to do this thing first. Or, yes, and I need to make sure I hide this part of me. So it was that love desiring love that almost covering it up, again, making the choice to add on these extra layers, I would call them of illusion. Beautiful. So here it is that all of those adjectives of loneliness and rejection turn into love-seeking. So let's go back to the little boy at the bus stop and who you are today. And for all the little boys and the grown men who still carry these psychological wounds, what would you say to Harrison at the bus stop? Well, the first thing I would do is give him a big and heartfelt cuddle, heart to heart. And I would remind him that this current story of loneliness, this current story of separation, I'd first let him know that it's okay to feel it, that whatever story he was currently playing, you're allowed to feel the thing mm-hmm. and how you feel the thing. It doesn't need to look a certain way. I'd let him know that whether it be through tears, whether it be through some kind of movement, whether it be 
anger, frustration, yelling, screaming, that however the channel of the emotion that needs to move through him, it's okay. And then I would, I think where I'd finish is I would let him ask for the need that he needs most. Again, not putting a box on that, not having it fit into a certain familial, cultural, religious container after the emotion was felt, really then standing in the action that needed to be taken at that moment. And what do you think he would have said he needed if he were asked, so what do you need? Well, I mean, the first word that comes up is play. I think he just wanted to play and connect once that emotion had been felt. And I get the word adventure. I get play and adventure. Okay. So, so when he goes to play and he gets to reconnect to adventure, what then transforms for him? Well, many things, but the, the word that comes through or the feeling that comes through is confidence. Ah. He, he starts to feel strong and confident in his ability to feel, in his ability to ask, in his ability to, to embody the desires, and I would say love, like all the forms of love that are currently flowing in the way that you know, is unique to him. There it is. Yeah. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you. When we talk about our feelings to our children and um, we don't, as you put it, put a box around what they're supposed to say or what, what it's supposed to sound like, we relearn the definition of love because we've got love into such a container. I mean, it's, you know, we're watching it in our films and we're, it's, it's, it's pretty narrow. And you just described one of the most loving things that children do is they are so deeply entrenched in the value of play. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful way of developing all of those qualities that you described of of confidence and knowing who you are through that play and defining it and exploring it so open-endedly. Yeah. And that's self-love. Yeah. And I'll just add in this extra piece of reflection because I'm in it now. You've got me in the energy <laughs> of it, Claudia. I, you know, and this is just, uh, this is probably a whole other conversation, but I think because it was at school, right? Because I was this little boy at this school in this type of education system that, you know, I'm sure everyone listening can understand to this or relate. Most of the education systems, they have no avenue for play, for 
that adventure. It's just left brain memorization, rote learning, etc. So that little boy at that time, you know, he was screaming for that in, in all of his educational pursuits. So in that moment, yes, there was these stories about loneliness and rejection and abandonment. That was the short-term wound, but it was really a avenue and alleyway for this deeper wound that just really wanted to be expressed. Well, I remember as a child that um, we would go to these school systems of uh, rote and um, they're very constrained in linear thinking, right? So time matters. Things were even timed and how quickly you could learn them. And when I think of that, I also remember hearing people that I, who knows how old they really were, but when you're a kid, everybody seems rather old that would say, you know, experience is the best teacher. And I remember not being able to consolidate what the two meant because I thought, well, if the experience is the greatest teacher, why is this my experience? I can't memorize or I can't do it as fast as some of the kids or I can't understand it. So then all of those negative things really impede with learning and more so with the learning experience. So who yeah. you begin to experience is the failure and the absence yeah. of what that wisdom teaching is really trying to give us. Yeah. But let's move forward here so that we can really wrap this up as we take this into adulthood. You talk a little bit about uh, ownership and I want to I want you to talk to us a little bit about how you get through that um that grief and into that stage. Well, definitely was not a uh one and done experience. It's been a series of remembering and reawakenings as I've gone deeper in connecting to my spirit, to be honest, right? It's, this is where I sort of set the intention at the start of this chat to not just speak emotionally as we've done, but now I sort of want to sprinkle in some of this the spiritual side to all of this. One of the ways I was able to not just take responsibility, but feel the grief and feel the feelings that were suppressed in, in the events that I've described today was rekindling my relationship with my spirit of love, right? It's probably the simplest way that I could explain that, right? Applying practices, and these have gradually built upon the years of remembering that there is a limitless, unbounded, unrelenting reservoir of loving support inside of me waiting to be tapped into. and. For me, I used that to feel the feelings, to see the lessons, to break the ancestral chains, to write the inner child letter, to you know apply strength and intention to the emotional practices that up until this point I felt were unbearable. Mm. Excellent. There has been an entire journey of seeking and finding in order to connect to that beautiful well of love yeah. that 
um, that you used to connect uh, to through that play and adventure. How does that play and adventure look as an adult? Well, I recently, I think, re-understood this for me. I, I had a suspicion that this was the case, but I think very recent choices that I made helped me to see that this is a big part of that expression. And I think the play and adventure for me at the moment as an adult really looks like the exploration of traveling around this globe, right? I have a, at my current uh, stage in my adult development, I have a really big intention to co-create with everyone, with all the people that resonate, such as this podcast right now. But I'm noticing it expand into not just co-create virtually, but co-create in this big adventurous world in in different 3D spaces and places. So currently for me, it looks like that. It looks like just exploring and not because I, in my early 20s, I did a lot of this, but it's different now in the case that it's just exploring for the sake of exploring, not for the sake of filling a need that I thought could be met with ticking the box of traveling. Yeah. Nice differentiation because yeah. you've really brought it full circle that the idea is you you are not creating experiences for the sake of doing. You are creating experiences for the sake of being in them and, and being present yeah. for the experience itself. Yeah. And that yeah. really is a very self-loving gesture. Yeah. Because now you're allowing what that young boy didn't have in that moment to be had now in order yeah. to step into that profound self-love. Yeah. And I just get, you know, as you're explaining, I just get the word nourishment. Nourishment is what is what really comes through. And yeah, grateful for this chat, my friend. You've illuminated some deeper reflections here. <laughs> Well, I think we might have to have a part two. Yeah. We might have to have a part two of this because one of the things that you talked about a lot and we don't have time to get into here today is the notion of how you've taken responsibility uh, for a lot of what you've experienced. And I think uh, for our listeners, I want to highlight that when we talk about taking responsibility, uh, I'm speaking for you, so feel free to step in here. We're not talking about... Um, taking responsibility for what somebody else does necessarily. We are talking about responsibility for every action, thought, and feeling that exists inside of us and how we can transform, alchemize, and love them within ourselves. Anything? Yeah. You- well, yeah, it's just, it's important to say that in relation to the abuse that I experienced, because I think when we have this conversation around taking responsibility around abuse, there is the illusion that comes up of, okay, what about that person that did those things? And it's not an or conversation. It's that person is responsible for their actions and I am responsible for the actions that I now get to take to heal myself and and realistically free myself from the suppression, the repression, 
the negative negative beliefs that I created around that experience. And that, you know, it's it's it's, it's another way to say this is the deepest form of forgiveness is not me forgiving that perpetrator. I can do that and that helps me to a degree. But the deepest form of forgiveness in this moment is me forgiving myself for holding on to the stories, the emotions, and the pain that perpetuated in my life. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Freeing ourselves from carrying that backpack and and walking along with that black dog. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Harrison. I think uh, this definitely is, as many of our conversations are, to be continued. I just want to tell you that I appreciate so much how much deeper our conversations are going and how much of your heart really is so open to me in these conversations, but to everybody else out there listening, I want to say thank you very much uh, to share this podcast. Go to theawakenedjourney.com. Audio recordings are available on Apple Music and Spotify. For more about my offerings, please go to the website, theawakenedjourney.com and check out my book, The Seven Destinies of Love, now available on Amazon. I want to give Harrison a little chance here to talk to you about his offerings, where you can find them and get in touch with him. He's really a true therapist. He is a profound healer and a very loving soul. Oh, I'm just, I'm just letting a bit of space between those loving words. Claudia, thank you for sharing your love with me today and thank you for holding this space. If anyone wants to reach out to me, I think I'll learn more about what I do in the world. The best place to begin is my podcast, The Cosmic Love Antenna, where I speak a lot about these emotional and spiritual topics all the time. So definitely go check me out over there. Uh, all social media at Harrison Ma, Ma spelled M-E-A-G-H-E-R, and same website, harrisonma.com. And finally, I'd recommend you tune into my recently released book, Your Cosmic Love Antenna, where I really go a bit deeper into the stories I shared today and its relationship to unlocking your inner space of powerful cosmic love. So I love you, my friend. Thank you for I having me. I love you. We'll do it again. Thank you for listening to the Cosmic Love Antenna with me, your host, Harrison. If you gained value or this episode hit your heart, please remember to share this out with a friend, a family member, or a lover. You can also leave your love over on Apple Reviews and Spotify star feedback, and this helps me spread my frequency to more souls in need. Finally, if you want to connect with me deeper, want to reach out, interested in coaching, please follow me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Harrison Ma, Ma spelled M-E-A-G-H-E-R. Sending you so much love. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. 
I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on ElectroCast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. ElectroCast. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baclaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric cast.